Hello, welcome to episode two of Made for More, accelerating in the year 2021 and beyond. Uh, we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, we're gonna have an amazing conversation with uh, one of my heroes and mentors, Jeff Vanderstelt. Brian Phipps is, is as geeked out as I am about this conversation. Uh, Senior Phipps, how are you? Excellent. Excellent. And you're right. I am geeked out. This guy's had a big influence on my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Jeff, we're so glad you're here, brother. Mm, thanks, man. It's good to be with you. I, I feel like I could say the same thing about you in terms of the ways that you influenced my life, Rob. Sorry. <laughs> Did you guys hear the other voice? That wasn't Jesus. It was me on a video. I apologize. Well, hey, we're uh, again, we're so glad that you're joining us today. That is a live conversation. Um, so we're inviting you into the conversation. Um, as we're talking with Jeff today, please feel free uh, to drop your questions into the chat room. And uh, we can't promise we'll get to all of them, but we're going to make a great effort to include as many as we can. Uh, Brian Phipps, help me cover those, if you will, if I get, sometimes I get lost in the conversation. Yeah, me um, too. It's going to be a challenge. It will be. And as you know, we're making our way in this season through the six shifts of Made for More. Uh, this is about how do we mobilize all of God's people, God's way. Uh, we looked last week at an overview of all the shifts. And underneath it, we're using this uh, analogy, uh, the Home Depot analogy. And uh, they made a splash. And they changed the game when they said, listen, you can do this and we can help. And we're trying to rediscover an ancient form of being the church and live into that in the present. And how is it that we, we shift from a recruiting model, inviting people into the programs of the church, and we celebrate how God is at work in all forms of the church. So I know for myself, my journey at certain points, that kind of engagement was a very meaningful next step towards Jesus. But what we're saying is if that becomes the end game, if our mobilization ends up just pointing towards the programs of the organized church, that may become just a cul-de-sac. It may inadvertently end up domesticating God's people. What we want to discover is this empowering, equipping, sending, releasing form of mobilization where everyone embraces the primary calling to make disciples. But then within that, each of us has a personal calling uh, that there's a set body of good works that the Lord is designed for us to partner with him in. You could call that a masterpiece mission. And today we want to start with the end in mind because the end in mind isn't actually just getting people out there. The end we have in mind is from Ephesians chapter one. And Jesus there describes his church as his body, the fullness of him who fills everything every way. And so I would ask you to imagine your city like an aquarium. And what would it be like if your city was filled with the beauty and the justice and the good news of Jesus? What if there was a gospel presence everywhere where God's people were bringing the love and the joy and the peace and shalom and kindness of Jesus literally to every street and every network of relationships. What if the justice of Jesus was everywhere where evils like racism or the violence we've seen in recent days is being dealt with, with creative solutions that the Holy spirit is inspiring in God's people and the beauty of Jesus being filling everything every way. That's the end goal. 
that's gospel saturation. And when Brian and I were like putting together the guest list, we're like who could, who could come and talk with us about gospel saturation? We didn't come up with any names, but then we're like, well, Jeff, maybe. Just kidding. <laughs> so we could squeeze him uh, into that idea. Exactly. We literally <laughs> can think of a better person. Uh, we've learned more about gospel saturation from you than anyone. Um, so before we start really dig into the topic, I have to ask a very important question. Okay. If you were a cartoon character, who would you be? So I'll just go ahead and I would either be pinky in the brain, <laughs> depending on the day. A genetically altered lab mouse bent on world uh, domination. That would, I'd either read pinky or the brain depends on which day it is. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. How about you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What about you, Brian? <laughs> you didn't ask me. Sorry. I'm tossing it back. Oh, <laughs> uh, Calvin, Calvin Hobbs. Oh, oh that's good. Good call. Why? Why Calvin? I want to know. That's a good call, though, man. I love, I just love the perspective of life he brings. It's like, oh, I didn't see that. Or that's another way to think about that. And I, I just love that, that angle about how he looks at the world. So, All right. Well, hey, if you're with us today, I triple dog dare you. Go ahead and put in the chat room what character, what cartoon character you'd be. <laughs> All right. Another quick question. Okay. What was the last great live concert you've been at like what was the band and uh what what was the show what was the experience like i'm just curious do you want the last one or the one that's the best no the last one. Oh, okay um i think the last one for me was Coldplay. oh no kidding yeah. that was a yeah, big was show that was an outdoor one it was pretty amazing yeah interesting Coldplay is quite divisive some people they? love them, and then some people are like biggest poser band in history of rock. Yeah, yeah. Well, either way, even if that's true, they did a pretty good job of it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Coldplay fan. I I like yeah. this stuff. There's a they're actually good songwriters. So, all right. Yeah. With that said, uh, let's talk. My about... My best one was you too, though. To be clear, best concert. Oh, that was an outstanding U2. concert. Yeah, I saw every one of them. Okay, what was your favorite though? I'm just curious. Joshua Tree, going way back to the original. I mean, Dude. I think that was the best ever. Me too. That was yeah. my first tour. Yeah. And and I won, my friend Tom Burr won tickets. <laughs> and we got to go for free. It was amazing. That was incredible. I saw him in Detroit, man. It was amazing. It was so okay. incredible. I got to share yeah. a mobilization story, and then we're going to get into it. By the way, uh, Lori saw Hootie and the Blowfish last. That's a good show. I think I know Lori. I like, I, I like Hootie. So at yeah, that concert, great. Jeff, I don't know if they did this every show, but uh, on one of the songs, oh, it's one of the three chord songs. God's Country, I think it is. Okay. Uh, he was like, uh, Bono was like, hey, does anyone know how to play guitar? You know, and thousands of hands go up. And he, he said, there's only three chords in this song. Who, who can handle this? And it, it, he's probably my age, 16, 17 years old, near the front. Bono grabs his hand, pulls him up on stage, you know, and he takes off his guitar and he puts it on it. And I knew this kid was like me. He'd sit in his room and was practicing all the guitar parts. I mean, he just locked in and just immediately started playing. And then the best part is it came time for the guitar solo. And this kid slides his fingers up the neck and he starts playing the solo. And the edge did the coolest thing. He took his cowboy hat off. He bowed 
and he just went like this, and the kid played that's the solo. Awesome. That's awesome. Oh my and when that's when he got done, I mean, forty thousand people went nuts, and it and that's Jesus and his disciples right there. Like, so, oh man, am I right? That, yes, that's incredible. I have to t- say this because uh, I've never shared this ever before. One of my students uh, in youth ministry, who when I was at Willow Creek, she was Bono's like personal assistant. Um, oh, wow. uh, this was back in probably 2012, maybe uh, okay. 2013, somewhere on there. And um, and she knew my love for you two and Bono, and and so they were going to come into town in Seattle, and he would bring someone up and who get to sing with them. So she was going to set it up that I get to be in the pre-party with the band and I'd be the guy he'd bring up and sing. And this whole no. so like dream of my life, like couldn't believe it was going to happen. And then and Bono then messes up his back and they cancel the whole concert. I, remember so I never got happened. to do it. And I'm like, no. Oh no. <laughs> it was it, wasn't it the bike accident? He had the bike yes. accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it was two fourteen or two thirteen. I can't remember when it was, but Oh my goodness. I was so dis I was so bummed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my dream. Anyway. Well <laughs> you can look forward to the second coming of Bono. There'll be another time. <laughs> I hope so. Where you can meet him face to face in glory. Yeah. I look forward to it. <laughs> Listen, Jason Morris Morris just said after I told that story, that's mobilization right there. And that is that's yes, our heart. Like how totally. do we live God's people? So that we're not the stars in the spot. Like, how, how do That's we right. become equippers so and, and then eventually disappear? Because there's so many generations of people playing the guitar that God's given them. I love it. The that they're made to do. So, uh, so let's jump into it. Come on, Phipps. What do, what's on All your right. mind? Yeah, I got question number one. And I was so excited when this came down. I was just thinking back over the years because, you know, Jeff, I've read your books and I've listened to you talk on videos. And then at one point I had the privilege of being there at uh, Soma and Tacoma as you kind of uh, coach some of us church leaders. And I was thinking, okay, what are the, what are the biggest ways this guy has influenced me? And, um, you know, there are two words through two of your books that have categorically influenced my life for the better. And those two words are saturate and fluency. You know, people on the call probably are very familiar with those books. We'll talk more about them as we go. But both of those words are pregnant with theological and practical meaning. And we've got several questions to kind of help you unpack them for us. But I wanted to start with an observation just to see if I'm on the mark, because if I am on the mark with this, this could be a helpful framework uh, for folks that are on this show to kind of put everything else. So here's my take. Saturate is the ultimate goal of the gospel. Like that's what Jesus was about when he, when he said, go into all the world and make disciples. So saturated and Ephesians one that we're talking about on this show, fill everything in every way and fluency if saturates the goal of the gospel, then the fluency is the primary means to accomplish the goal. Saturates what we're trying to do. Fluency is that which we need, the most important thing we need in order to accomplish that goal. Is that a helpful framework or am I missing something there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the idea of saturate, you know, comes from Habakkuk 2.14, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Uh, I, I believe when we read prophetic literature and scriptures it's god saying i will do it and you are part of it so we live into that and that's what Mm -hmm. ephesians 1 the passage you just referenced is all about that now christ 
through his body, which is the church, is going, it fills all in all. And it's interesting that for about the first year of our church plant that we started in Tacoma, we didn't have a name for our church, but we were studying Ephesians. And when we landed on that passage, and I was doing the Greek study of, you know, we are his body, his soma, in which he fills all in all. I'm like, that's the name of our church. We're going to call it Soma because our vision was, what would it look like if Jesus would fill all in all in Tacoma through his people, the church, on mission in everyday life? So Hmm. that was it. But then along the way, as we were living out that reality, we realized if you don't have the gospel just coursing through your veins, informing every thought and action, and then just falling out of your mouth every time you want to talk to people about stuff, then you're really not going to accomplish anything because uh, if we don't make it about Jesus, speak of Jesus, bring people to Jesus, then what are we saturating them with? It's not just good deeds and good lives. It's there you go. That they all point to Jesus and he's the only reason and the only means by which it can happen. And so, yeah, that's, that was exactly it. How do we see the city filled with the presence of Christ? Well, we have to have people that are gospel fluent in absolutely everything they do. Yeah, Jeff, you just hit the the main shift we want to cover today, which is from more effort to more Jesus. Hmm. And without the gospel as our motivation, our nuclear engine, uh, all we're left with is more effort, like merely human effort, which ends up producing merely human result. And, and the way I've thought about it, you know, you have a Nerf ball and you can squeeze a Nerf ball and hold it but eventually you're going to get tired. And that's what a lot of Christianity has been. It's like, I'm just morally restraining. I'm, but then eventually it pops back and it's like, Oh, oh. and then it like, then I'm back to the shame. I'm back to the condemnation. I'm back to the, and then I, and then I'm going to try to pump myself up again so I can restrain that. So how, how do people get out of that cycle? Everybody who's on this, in this conversation right now, we all know what it feels like to be in that cycle where it's like squeeze, snap back, squeeze, snap back. How do people get out of that cycle? How does the gospel break that cycle practically? Well, that's a really big question, Rob, because there's so many pieces to that. Um, That's true. uh, You know, in terms of like, there's an emotional reality there that like, I don't even know how broken I am from my childhood narrative and the life systems that I adopted because of the way I was brought up and the church background that I adopted. And therefore my theological structures that form not only how I deal with my heart, but how I deal with my actions and my thoughts. Uh, but I, I think the simple, I'll give a short, an- I'll try to give a short answer to how we deal with it. I think, I think we learn, like Paul said, to take captive our thoughts so that they come under obedience to Christ, which is another way of saying that everything submits to what is true of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and who we are as a result of it. And so we framed up, just framed up four questions that we always bring to every situation. What do I know to be true of God? What do I know that he's already done? What do I know to be true of me because of that? And therefore, what do I do? And unfortunately, most of Christianity is, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And that's all the imperatives of the scriptures, the commands, but they always come out of the indicatives. What is true of God, what he's done in Christ, and who I am as a result, which never change. The way I usually teach it is those first three questions are, what is true no matter what I do? And if I believe what is true no matter what I do, then I will do what I do because of what I know is true. So in other words, if God says I'm holy, regardless of what I've done because of Christ and all he's accomplished for me, 
then I will live a holy life. But I also know when I don't live out holy behaviors, I'm still holy. It sets me free from holding the the, the nerf ball. Cause like, that's a life of like, I got to grit and work and strive. It's like, no, 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 I don't. I'm holy Amen. in Christ. I am holy. Now will I live out my new identity or hmm. cause I, that's not striving. That's Amen. just being, yes. that's being who God made me to be. And most of religion is doing, which is really what the world has been teaching all your life. You are what you do. Mm-hmm. Not you are who you are because of what God has done in Christ for you. So for me, it's always like, and it's, it's back comes back to see striving and know that I am God. Amen. Right. Like that's it. Um, Ephesians or Psalm forty six ten, like, like that's just be, I get to be, uh, I don't have to do. And then doing will always come out of being in Christ. So, yeah. And I, I when you talk about those four main categories or questions, you know, the bottom two are both about identity. That's right. When it's about the identity, the true identity of the living God. And then out of that, our identity, because if we know who God is then we know who we are, and the gospel is what heals our image of God and mm-hmm. it heals our image of self. That's right. So um, talk a little bit more about how it is, you know, how do people have, how does the gospel practically, like if you're going to, let, let's talk about a tool. What's a tool that you would use to help someone allow the gospel to heal their image of God? Well, I mean, the tool is an interesting question. I mean, there's so many, there's a lot of tools. So before I give you a tool, uh, I think it comes back to Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Amen. So I I think one of the the first things you want to do is you want to say, don't let your idea of what God's like come out of anything, but what you see Jesus doing and being. So whatever it is that you see in Jesus that's the father. He's the fullness of the deity in, in bodily form. So one of the tools that I will regularly use is I'll, uh, with people is I'll say, how is Jesus better? Yes. There you go. You know, how is he the better father? How is he the better son? How is he the better worker? How is he the better whatever? Because all of us have a perverted or distorted or broken vision of God yes. based upon we where we looked to find our image of what that God is like, either the church we are a part of, the teaching we received, the father that we were brought up with or weren't brought up with, you name it. And so it's always saying, okay, what area of life are you trying to understand the, the most essential truth about? And I can tell you that you will find the most essential orig- or original uh, truth in who Jesus is around that. So like, if it's a boss, man, my boss is just down on me. Totally. I, I never measure up. He never encourages me enough. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't let your earthly boss be your ultimate boss. Jesus came to be the ultimate boss for you. And what's true of that ultimate boss? He comes and he says, I'll do the work for you. And then I'll give you the work as a gift. And then I will give you the affirmation that my father gives me. You'll never have to earn it. Mm-hmm. And then I will also give you a retirement plan. That's unbelievable. Cause you'll get to share in all my riches and you just keep going on. And you're like, man, if you went to work for that boss every day, which is exactly what the mm-hmm. Apostle Paul is saying is, I don't work unto man. I work unto him. He's not old. Men are not my, I don't live for their approval. 
I've been set free from that. So now when I can go to work for Jesus, my ultimate boss, and even my lesser boss, my earthly boss can let me down over and over again, but it's okay. Cause I've got a better boss. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to burden my earthly boss with the weight that he or she could never carry. That's right. You know, and so often we're setting our soul on top of things that are so small and so fragile. And that's the beauty of, of gospel fluency and what you're describing. It, it, it takes um, that which is infinite and then helps us take our, our desires, which are also infinite. And finally, we're drinking from not a broken cistern anymore. We're drinking from the living well. Yeah. Amen. And it not only fills us up, but it releases others from being something they could never be for yeah, us. We're crushing people. We are. Yeah. Yeah. There's been parents so many times where kids parents want their kids to be the perfect child. And you're like, we already have one. It's, it's the son of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let them be the perfect child for your kids so that your kid doesn't feel the weight of yes. trying to measure up in ways they can't. Uh, some people get married because they're like, man, my spouse will finally deeply satisfy me. It's like, no, no, no. There's only one who can do that. Jesus is the perfect bridegroom. You know, Amen. so, and and we as his bride get to join in with that and just enjoy perfect fellowship and every desire absolutely satisfied in him. So it just, it not only fills us up, but it releases others from a weight they could never carry. Yes, absolutely. And I know uh, for the church leaders who are a part of this right now, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, please, along the way, drop questions you have for Jeff into the chat box. We'll weave those in. Um, someone specifically, Ryan Johnson. Hey, Ryan. I know Ryan. Glad you're here, brother. Uh, he mentioned specifically the fruit to root tool and how that's completely changed. He says how he's coaching and counseling others. Uh, for those that have never heard of the fruit to root tool, what, what is that exactly? You've kind of covered it, but let, yeah. um, again, we're, when we're talking about gospel fluency, there's this massive vision, you know, that Jesus is the ultimate and complete revelation of who God is. And he is the exact representation, the, the essence of it. But fruit to root is how does that work its way into every nook and cranny of a person's mind, body, and soul. So walk us through fruit to root. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the, the concept of fruit to root is Jesus saying it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. You don't expect a really good fruit coming from a bad tree, you know? Uh, so that's the concept, but the idea comes around those four questions where we basically say everything that you do in your life is coming out of what you believe about who God is, what he's done and who you are in Christ. So fruit to root is now saying the fourth question is what do I do because of what I believe. And we start with, what do I do? That's the fruit. What am mm-hmm. I experiencing? What am I doing? What am I saying? what's happening in my life. And if I will take time to examine that and then say, where is that coming from? What does that behavior or action or thought or word reveal about what I'm presently believing about, first of all, myself. So I'm just going to reverse the questions now. What does it say I believe about myself? That's going to tell you what I believe about what God's done, which Mm -hmm. is going to tell you what I believe about what God's like in terms of his character. And so it's in some ways, it's what I would say, that's what biblical confession actually is. Biblical confession isn't I'm just confessing my sins, it's confessing my beliefs that I'm saying because of what I'm seeing in my life, there's clearly some belief under that. So I'm I'm living with anxiety. What am I what is the belief that maybe I first question, what does it say about what I believe about myself? I believe I have to be in control 
but I'm completely feeling out of control. What does that say I might believe about what God's like? Maybe I believe God's actually out of control or doesn't care or is not present. But something's there underneath that. What does that say I believe about God? Maybe that God actually is distant, unloving, impotent, you know, and as, as I start to confess out loud what I'm believing in the moment that's leading to the fruit of my anxiety, I get to start facing the fact that likely I'm believing wrong things about myself, God's work, and His character. And the beauty of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, as we confess out loud, comes alongside of us and says, let me correct that. Let yes. me remind you of the, these truths. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit is direct us to who Jesus is to remind us of what we have in him and who we are as a result. And so that process of just verbally confessing what I've been believing about myself, God's work and God's character will start to reveal any areas of unbelief. And hopefully if I do this in community, it sometimes reveals my ignorance where someone says, Oh, I don't know if you knew this, but this is also true of Jesus. Let me tell you these truths about Jesus that might change the entire belief system, the root system of your life producing an entirely different kind of fruit. Yeah, it's, you know, we, in the Kansas City Underground, we equip every missionary, we want every microchurch equipped in gospel fluency. And one of the sticking points that we've discovered um, is you mentioned it in passing, but I really want to highlight it. It's that it's the confession out loud. Like when you get down to realizing, no, I really think Jesus is distant and powerless. There's something profound that happens when you say out loud, Lord, I don't think you love me. And I think you're powerless and you're not here. And suddenly the darkness of that becomes like you realize, no, no, I believe help my unbelief. Like, yes. And and there's something that breaks in that moment. And there's, we find that there's a lot of folks that like, I can't say that. I can't No, It's already in your heart. Jesus already sees it. He knows it's there. You need to break the power of that thing by confessing it. And when you do, and especially to another brother or sister, then together you're getting into agreement now about your freedom and about who Jesus is. So I think that's, it's a subtle piece, but it's very important. Yeah. And Rob, I want to say a couple of things to that one. That's what the Psalms are all about. Yes. The Psalms aren't just, they aren't primarily theological statements because some of them are actually wrong. Like, God, I I really want you to crush the heads of my enemy's babies. That would be awesome. That's right. I don't think that's that's psychopathic, man. That's That's exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but it's God saying, I'm the safest place you can be to tell me exactly what you believe and what you're experiencing. I can handle it and I can change you when you do it. And what repentance is, and this is where I think we get confused. We think confession is like, I say I'm wrong. And then repentance is I, I change my behavior to do what's right. But confession biblically is I declare out loud what I've been believing about who I am, who, what God's done, who, I, who God is. Repentance is when I, as I'm saying it out loud, the Holy Spirit goes, that's not who God is. Mm-hmm. That's not what God's done to you. That's not who you are in light of it. And the biblical idea of repentance is it's a change of mind. So now all the truths that you not known or believed now start to get filtered in by the Holy Spirit in your heart. And as you begin to believe them, yes, it will produce a change of behavior. But most of Christianity, unfortunately, goes, hey, you're doing wrong. Start doing right. That's repentance. That is not. That's called behavior modification. That's humanism. Gospel-centered transformation is confession 
of our belief and false belief, Holy Spirit gifting us with repentance to get the truth that he knows we don't know or don't believe, and therefore it produces new fruit. Amen. And that's the fruit to root. It's I start with fruit, go down to root, and then I work out as I'm confessing, root to fruit. Now I go, here's what is true of God. Here is what he's done for me. Here's who I am. And that does lead to an entirely different kind of life. Amen. You know, when we're training people, um, one of the experiences that we've created, it's called Missionaries Made. It's a four-month journey. And one of the practices is right up top, you know, we're working through gospel fluency, fruit to root, four Gs. And uh, every week they're doing um, journaling working through, you know, fruit to root and then root back up to fruit of four G's and there. And we have this inside of an app. So people then are sharing their journals. So now you have a triad that's um, on this journey of gospel fluency. And I'm telling you, and we also teach them how to begin a prayer, different listen and engage, how to listen as a missionary, eat, how to do meals and hospitalities, serve, find the person of peace, you know, but the thing we always get the number one feedback on is gospel fluency. I mean, people say that changed me more than anything I've ever learned. Cause I think it's, um, I think it was Keller who said, people think the gospel is the ABCs, but it's actually the A to Z. Yeah. And yeah. so um, a question that came in, I'm just curious. Um, cause I always like to understand influences. Cause I think that's a rabbit hole that's worth going down because if, if this person's influencing me and someone else is influencing them, I, I, I want to get back there. So Rodney asked Jeff, it appears you've been shaped by David Pallison's gospel ministry. Is that true? Do you know who David Pallison yeah. is? Yeah, I, I definitely have been shaped by David Pallison. Keller was probably the intro to me to get to all the others. So then Jack Miller is a guy that has significant, like his book, um, uh, Basically, it's around leaders, this uh, servant hearted leader, I think it's called, or the heart of a servant leader. But all it is is his letters written to leaders that he's mentoring, developing, that his family, after he passed away, put together and made a book. And it's just deep, it's just so deeply gospel centered in everything, every piece of advice he gives. So he was, but Keller was, Paulison was, Graham Goldsworthy was. I mean, there's, I could probably give you 20 names of people who have influenced me in terms of thinking this way. Edmund Clowney was, I mean, just the, the list goes on and on and on, but Paulison certainly had an impact. Yep. That's cool. I need to go down that road. I've never read any of his work. Yeah. What's on your and, mind, Brian Phipps? What's percolating? What's hitting you? Oh, several things, several things. Um, <clears throat> but the biggest one is, uh, how significantly we, I had reduced this idea of gospel to just the first thing you ever heard about Jesus. It's kind of the door to a relationship with Jesus. You, you summarize it, Rob, with the difference with what Tim Keller said with, it's not the ABCs, accept and believe and confess. It's the A to Z. It's everything. Uh, but I, I had gone a long way into this thing called following Jesus before I realized the gospel wasn't the thing you had to accept in order to get into the family. The gospel is what you needed to actually live. Out. And by the way, I'm going to attach something else that Jesus said to this. When he came onto the to the to, to, to onto the scene, he started with the repent and believe because the kingdom is here. 
And I tended to associate repent and believe with that initial act of surrender to Jesus, but never carried it on into the act of actually becoming like Jesus. And so take and repent and believe and that whole idea that the gospel is just the front end is a is such a hyper dramatic um, narrowing of that it's 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 infinitesimal compared to its to its potential the repent and believe i remember when it first clicked for me uh with some of the influences that i had early on grace life ministries and some of the other things that shaped me big time early on was no repent and believe isn't the front door into this repent and believe is the key to ultimate freedom ultimate living in that identity and, uh, and Jeff, we haven't said this yet, but it's uh, the whole idea here is moving from disbelief to belief in every aspect of my life. That's a phrase that you use over and over and over. And I remember how put off I was when I first was faced with that idea of there's areas of my life that are filled with disbelief. No, <laughs> no, that's almost an indictment. But when it, but then it quickly switched from indictment to freedom because I realized that there's so much movement that had been happening throughout my life up to that point. That's where we get to go with the rest of the space that God has yet to redeem and bring fully alive. Moving from disbelief to belief in every aspect of life. Tell us just a little bit more about what that means and what that looks like for people as they're trying to be a part of, let me put this in two categories. People who want to become more fully alive, like me, you, and Rob. But then in the second category, leaders like us that want to not just empower ourselves to do that, but empower other people to uh, to, to to accomplish the same team, to experience the same thing. Jack Miller, that's the one I was thinking of. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. Let, let me go back to the repent and believe kingdom. Like, like don't miss that. Jesus didn't come to primarily just forgive you of your sins and get you into heaven. That wasn't the, the idea. The idea was he came so that you might experience the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the, 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 the full experience of his rule and reign over everything of your, in your life, which he says is that, you know, the son came to set you free, to give you abundant life, to give you everything you always longed for, but never knew you could have. Like that's, that is what Jesus came to give. And so the, the concept there is, now, how do I help people realize that repentance, and I, I frame up repentance around three categories. It's either repentance of ignorance. I didn't know That's these great. things about God and his work in Jesus and how that would transform everything for me. Or I knew, but I didn't believe. Like, that's the disbelief. I've heard it, but I don't really believe it. Or um, the kind of more rebellious side of like, I knew it, I believed it, but I walked away from it, right? And I need to be brought back. And so there's a variety of ways that we get brought back to belief. Um, but the reason why I bring it up that way is because I think ignorance is a big part when people think the gospel is the good news for my salvation and entry into the kingdom, instead of the gospel is the good news for everything in life so that I might experience the kingdom in absolutely everything. And so I'll go to Ephesians 4. Paul says that we speak, speaking the truth in love, we will in every way grow up into him who is our head, into Christ. And Paul defines maturity as being like Christ. And he says the goal is that you will grow up in every way hmm. into Christ. Later, he says in verse 21, that this speaking the truth is really just speaking the truth of Jesus into everything. So I'll, often I'll say is, if we're going to grow up into every way into Christ, we have to learn how to speak the truth of Jesus into everything. 
And the problem is most of my experience growing up in Christianity was someone knew how to tell me about Jesus for my afterlife, but they didn't know how to tell me about Jesus for everything in my life. Mm-hmm. So Jesus didn't mm-hmm. have to do with my sex life. He didn't have to do with my money. He didn't have to do with how I go to work. He didn't have to do with, with relationships. I mean, he just, and that was the A, A, B, and C's that you're referring to that Keller spoke of. It's like, no, 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 no. If he came to bring the kingdom, which is the way life is supposed to be under the rule and reign of God, then he actually is, he, he has not only something to say, but something to do in your life, in every area of your life. Amen. So, and that's the difference. And so, first of all, to start to believe that and experience that is going to be unbelievably transformative. And it's going to move us from this very legalistic, moralistic, completely lacking any power of that's God, religion, yeah, to an unbelievably transformative, empowering presence of the very kingdom of God itself by, by his spirit, which means I got a life I never could have had apart from Jesus. Now, what happens when that takes place? When I start to experience these truths of Jesus and his presence and his power transforming and freeing me, then when I go out on mission, I'm not trying to figure out what to say. Right. Again, unfortunately, that's what most evangelism training is like, okay, here's what you're going to say. Here's how you get in the conversation. Here's the question you ask. It's like, that's, you're talking to someone who doesn't know the kingdom. You're talking about someone who the gospel is not transforming. That's why you have to tell them what to talk about. But if it's transforming you and the presence of Christ is in you and you're getting freed up and empowered in every area of life, then you don't, you don't have to wonder about what to talk about. Yeah. It's out of the oracle of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's just going to spill out of you. Yeah, it is. And the other side of it is you actually have good news for everything that others in the world are facing. Yes. You actually can bring Jesus into every conversation because you know yeah. he has something to say and do in every situation. Amen. So as a leader, if you're wanting your people to be mobilized on mission, and you aren't enabling them to, to live in this way, in such a gospel-fluent, gospel-saturated way, then you got to keep telling them what to do and what to say. And then most of them will go like, forget it. It's just easier to bring them to church. My <laughs> pastor will do it all for them. I don't have to do anything. I wouldn't have a clue what to do anyway. In fact, I don't even know that I really want to tell anybody about Jesus because he's not that great to me. I mean, someday I think he will be when I die and meet him. But right now, I've got normal life and troubles and problems like I don't know what to talk about. And that's most Christians experience. It is. Yeah. This is why they have nothing to say and why we have to keep training them on what to say. But here's what I've learned. I've never had to train anybody to talk about what they love. I've never had to train anybody to talk about what works in their life. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to talk about what works. Mm-hmm. And I've never had to train anybody to talk about what is transforming the inner parts of their heart. Amen. Like they'll talk about that without you ever telling them to, it just comes out. Yeah, it's no longer a presentation. It's, it's it, a conversation. It, well, and so it's, it's a worldview. Like you begin yeah. to see where Jesus is at work all around you, and when you're talking to your neighbor and they're telling you their story, no longer are you trying to figure out how do I crowbar this into making some kind of presentation. It, you're looking to their story and going, "Oh, her ex is is still her God." Yeah, like she's yeah. still trying to lift her soul to her ex and get this approval that she's never going to get. So suddenly it's like, Oh, I have good news for her. I can't wait to tell her about this. That's <laughs> like, right. You don't need your ex anymore. You don't need them. Like you're, 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 
God's beloved daughter because of what Jesus has done for you, you know? And, yeah. and, and then it, it truly is, it's like laser targeted good news. Cause you, mm-hmm. if you get familiar with your own idolatry, you get pretty good at picking it up in other people. <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, anybody who's in counseling knows that the people who are generally a counselors are people who went through their own recovery. Yeah. They did the yes. work. Because they're like, okay, now, I, man, I can see it. I can see the unhealth and I care about it. And anybody who's going to be able to speak the gospel is someone who's been speaking it to themselves, who's been transformed Amen. by themselves. That's why it comes out. And yep. that's why Jesus told them he, they would be as witnesses. It wasn't, here's what you're going to mm. do. And here's what you're going to say. It's like, no, no, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You already have, you already know what to tell everybody. You've been with me for three and a half years, but you're going to need power to do it. So the Holy Spirit will give you that. But then you're just going to go witness to everything that's been happening. And it's yeah. just going to come out of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on repentance, and then I'm going to kind of shift, shift directions on us. One of the, we have two catchphrases in the underground. And one of them is repentance. Our prayer is it will be quick, common, and continuous. It's like breathing. We just never stop repenting. Why? Because ultimately what repentance is, this is what we say. It's turning into the embrace of Jesus and saying, you're right, Lord. About what? Everything. 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 That's great. And and that's, to me, that is so hopeful. Mm. And, And you're right. When people begin to practice these skills, it activates gospel saturation, gospel fluency, like in the individual, in triads, in extended spiritual families, you know, for us, that's micro churches, for you, it's mission communities that can happen in small groups and the prevailing model. Uh, it is going to catalyze gospel saturation. Um, so talk to us about, um, you know, we've talked about saturation at the global level, like at the end, heaven and earth are going to collide. The glory of God's going to cover the earth, like the waters cover the sea completely. But what, uh, for the church leaders that, you know, are in this conversation today, um, what, what is, I know you've been working on saturate the sound. Like how does gospel fluency with at this kind of micro level with individuals and in, you know, gospel communities, how does that scale out to actual saturation in a city? Is that pie in the sky? Is that, you know, well, sh- it's just another Billy Graham campaign. What, what is it? How do we get there? Well, it's, it's, I mean, it gets reduced all the way down to a person. Like if you would train someone to be a disciple of Jesus, who's saturated personally with the gospel and fluent in it, who will then live in community with others who are committed to do the same with each other, then they're inevitably going to affect their neighborhood or their workplace or their school or the place of where their kids are in sports. And so for us at Saturate the Sound, it's just like, how do we see more of those gospel communities on mission who are committed to saturation, have the vehicle of gospel fluency or the means of gospel fluency, doing it together where we live, work, learn, and play. Well, um, what, what, but what is Saturate the Sound? Is that just SOMA or... Like unpack what is that exactly? Yeah, for us, saturate the sound is about about a hundred churches that are committed together to see gospel saturation happen. The way we measure that is we're saying a day when every man, woman, and child will have the opportunity daily to meet Jesus in word and deed through His people on mission. Like that's okay. that's the goal that you couldn't get through the day in the Puget Sound without having met Jesus not just through actions, but through words with the opportunity to then hopefully respond 
yourself to Jesus. That's the whole hope. And we think that will take one gospel community on mission per thousand people. So about 4 million people in the greater Puget Sound. You can do the math about how many groups that requires. Well, we have 100 churches and 10 different learning cohorts who are all learning how to live out that reality. Because we've found that most pastors aren't gospel fluent. Most pastors don't preach the gospel through every text. They don't know how to make Jesus the hero of every story. Uh, so it's like, even with the, what they're getting on Sunday, it's not helping the people get immersed in a gospel-centered community. So we're helping pastors learn how to tell their own story, making Jesus the hero, have repeated conversations about Jesus with people who don't know Jesus, have it lead through their sermons, and then start to equip their people to do the same. Knowing that if we will just over time, and I think it could take a long, you know, 10, 20 years, but it's worth giving our life to because it's the only reason we're here uh, at this point. Uh, like we want Jesus everywhere. And so if we'll just gradually keep doing it over and over and over again, we believe it will eventually fill the whole Puget Sound with the presence of Christ through his people. And we started with five churches and there's about a hundred now in five years. They're all saying, let's do this together. Let's collaborate. Let's partner. Let's not be alone. Let's not let pastors not be faithful. Let's help each other. Uh, so that's really what Saturate the Sound is. And it's growing, you know, incrementally, but I think exponentially, uh, you know, thinking five years ago, there were five churches and now there's about 100. So encouraged by that. But that's what so, that is. So um, let, let's tease that out a little bit. So you start with five churches. What did it look like for the next five churches to enter into saturate the sound? Um, what are what are church leaders and churches agreeing to? You know, what are the relational rhythms? What's the ideology? What's the? Um, it's a network. Yeah, it's a network. So, so it's more than that. Yeah. So kind of unpack. Let's say you know I, I'm in. Uh, I'm in your neck of the woods and I hear about this thing and I'm, and I'm curious, what is that journey like for a church community to become a part of something like that in a city? Yeah. Well, usually it starts with a vision launch where we cast the vision for what it could be, a biblical vision for saturation and a gospel centered approach to how we're going to do it. Uh, and, and this is, this is what we did. We just started having vision lunches. A leader would come, we'd say, okay, it can't just be you saying yes to it. Cause there's lots of networks of pastors, but that's not the same as networks of churches. So like, okay, you got to get your church leadership to say, we want to be a part of this and even give energy to it. Uh, in most cases we say you might want to tithe 10% of your staff's time towards the big church, not just your church. So how do we serve the big C church? Uh, so most commit to something like that. And then they commit to a rhythm of at least once a month for two to three hours, praying together with other pastors in their, in their community, uh, learning together. Cause we find that unity comes with humility. So when we say, Hey, I don't, I'll let me, I'll be honest. I don't know how to share the gospel that well to my neighbors. When mm -hmm. a pastor says that with a bunch of other pastors, everybody else starts admitting. Yeah, I don't either. Yes. I don't even have non-believing friends. Okay, now we're being humble with each other, which leads to common learning. Let's learn how to do it. Let's help each other. And so all of a sudden now you build trust, which we know that humility through learning uh, leading to trust will lead to collaboration because then it's, so what are we going to do together? We're going to share resources. We're going to share staff. We're going to, so that starts leading to like, 
well, let's do let's do sermon series together where we plan a whole series together. And we usually bring in a theologian who will teach through a book and all, you know, and we'll have hundreds of pastors show up and we'll all kind of prepare a sermon series together. And then we'll pop around to each other's pulpits and preach at each other's churches to show our church that we're one church, that we're not oh, yeah. competing, that we're not trying to make it about my ego, but it's about Jesus's ego. And so we call them, we say, you're going to have to die to ego and die to logo. The ego is Jesus. The logo is the kingdom. And there's one big C church in this city. And when one of us succeeds, we all succeed. And when one of us fails, we all fail. So then it starts saying, well, let's start doing metrics where we count baptisms as our baptisms, not Mm. that church's baptisms. Or Mm. now we start talking about planting churches together by funding them together, not by just saying, you do yours, I'll do mine, and we'll see how many I got to plant and how many you got to plant. We just start collaborating. And then that leads to working for the common good in the city. So then when the the city needs help, the whole church shows up and no one church gets credit anymore. The church Mm. gets credit. And we saw that happen in Kent. We had this this guy who his pastor is a part of one of our cohorts. He pulled his leadership into it and formed his church of it. Had me even come preach, exposed their church to many other churches, started to be a fan of all the churches, not just their church. And this guy is a, a school teacher and he's not on staff at the church. He's not a pastor. He just got, he caught the vision. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to take my responsibility of my apartment. Sort of knock during COVID, knock on everybody's door. What can we do? How can we pray for you? How can we serve you? Well, sure enough, not only did he start helping that apartment, but they started passing word. And all of a sudden, people all over the city of Kent are showing their needs. And the church, Big C, is showing up. And they've given over 25 million pounds of food away since COVID kicked into gear. He's now asking for like an 11,000 square foot warehouse because Microsoft and Amazon and Boeing, they all want to give to support this work that is a church-based work. That's led by normal, everyday people who are not pastors. And the city mayor's like, hey, will you come and pray for our city now? And so she's like bringing in the church, but no one church is getting credit. Jesus and his church is getting credit. So that's just one example of what it's led to. And I can point to many of those. Uh, us saying we're going to make sure every elementary school on the east side of Seattle is adopted by the church so that not there's not one who doesn't have a church connected that can help the administrators and the teachers whenever they have needs. That's now in place. Like, But it's the church doing it. It's not one particular local congregation all by themselves. Well, I know that we have a lot of interest in Kansas City and we're really looking forward to having this conversation with you about what it looks like to have to saturate in our neck of the woods. If there's other church leaders that are watching today, um, that this is really sparking something in them. How do they find out more about um, saturate? Cause I know this is a big part of what God's calling you to do with this next chapter of your life. Yeah. I mean, I'm 60% of my time now is freed up to, to do this work across North America is to serve the church and just say, how do we help you and your city begin to live this out? So, yeah, you can go to saturatetheworld.com. Uh, that's probably the best place. Uh, you can reach out to me personally through any of my social media uh, links, which is plenty, so you can find me easily. Uh, but, th- yeah, this is what we're giving our energy and time to. Uh, and our hope is to see minimally 15 gospel saturation hubs in North America by 2030, uh, similar to what we've been doing at Saturate the Sound. All right. Kansas City needs to be on the radar. Uh, We're going to start taking a few questions 
uh, before we wrap things up. Uh, I've got one here from Aaron. So again, uh, anyone who's online, we'd love for you to drop your question in. Um, Aaron's asking, what kind of frameworks or structures as we look at the church or being the church, do you find create the best opportunity to cultivate this sort of missional lifestyle in all believers? So it's really, it's a structure question. It sounds like. Yeah. Whenever I teach on this, I talk about there's a few key disciple making environments you've got to think about for your church. Uh, one of course is you and God, like spiritual formation cannot be neglected. People, they don't know how to commune with the Holy spirit, walk with Jesus in real life. Uh, through the spiritual formation practices, then they, they won't have anything to give. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. So that's the first environment is helping your people truly have communion with God in their own personal life. The second, I think, is a triad. Um, Jesus had Peter, James, and John. So it's a few that we always say, who knows your story? Who knows your struggle? Who knows where you need to regularly repent? And so you have anybody like that in your life. And so we call them DNA groups. Some call them triads, but Jesus had the three, Peter, James, and John. And so who knows your story? Who knows your struggle? Who knows where you're going to continue to struggle and need repentance and is walking with you in life in that way. So that's the second one. Uh, And some call that intimate space. You know, I know Alex Absalom and others have written on these spaces using sociology as a a springboard. The third space for us is going to be it's a missional community or a community group. But it's it's now it's kind of more like my um, relational space where we know each other. We're not all going to go super deep, but we are going to do life together. It's where we start to practice using our gifts practice gospel fluency in community, practice being on mission. So for us, it's, you know, I've got my life with God. I got my life on life with a few, with three others, two or three others. I've got life and community on mission uh, where we are doing life together and we're doing meals together and we're doing the practices of the one and others together. And we're learning how to use our gifts together. So that's a third space. I think you have to figure out. Then I think there's a fourth space and that's that social public space where you're engaging in what's going on in the world and others are helping you or doing it with you. So you're not alone in your mission. So life with God, life on life, life in community, life on mission out in the world. And then I think there is then the life with the body. And that is how do you organize the church in such a way that we're training everybody for those spaces. Mm. And that can look in a lot of different ways. Some people, they use their Sunday gathering for that. Some don't. Some use equipping spaces for that. Some don't. But I think those are the key structural spaces you've got to be thinking about. Yeah, life are- with God, life on life, life in community, life on mission, and then life with the church equipping you for the other spaces. Right on. Yeah, that's, those are the same frameworks that we use in the Kansas City Underground. We do have a dedicated equipping gathering um, yep. that is for the committed missionaries, the microchurch leaders. It's kind of the 72 space. Yep. Um, of equip and send and multiply. Um, one last question, and then we'll start wrapping things up. This is from Jed. Uh, you have a resource called Holy Spirit Empowered Community. Uh, how do spiritual gifts fit into this framework is the question. And they're asking you that or me? You. Okay. Yeah. So for us, uh, the way that we work out the spiritual gifts, my experience is that the spiritual gifts are generally best worked out in a community that's also on mission. 
I think where we got into trouble in the church is we, we kind of do this cul-de-sac of we're going to just all practice our spiritual gifts, but they never, ever turn outward. And yet Jesus said the reason why he would pour out his spirit on the church is so that they could be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. And those gifts are meant to build up the body for the sake of mission. Yeah. So for me, the best way to discern gifts, practice gifts, and to get feedback on gifts is going to be in a smaller group setting, like a missional community for us. Uh, the larger group gathering of the church generally is not the best place for the whole body to work out using their spiritual gifts. Cause usually you have to be pretty good at using them to use them at a larger, in a larger group setting, which means so few ever discover them. And so few ever get to get practiced in them. Also, you never discern or learn your gift unless it's a safe place where you can fail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think that group that, that, you know, the, the missional community for us, that's going to be like 10 to 25 or 30 people is probably your best place to discern the gifts, to practice the gifts, and to then begin to use those gifts to build up for the sake of effective mission. That's where we do it at. Now, we've done retreats where we'll get away and say, hey, we're going to help you all kind of preemptively discover your gifts by having people who know you really well tell you what they think they are. Then we're going to break you up into our retreat into different categories according to, first of all, people gifts. So we we see Ephesians uh, as you know, four is the people gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, that's people gifts. And then we say, basically, then you have skill gifts, which is like your tool belt of what you do as a people gift to the church, like administration, leadership, mercy, others. And then we believe in manifestation gifts, which is what God will do in the moment, according to the need, prophecy, healing, tongues, you know, the other manifestation gifts. So we teach on them that way and then provide opportunity for them to figure out who they are as a gift, begin to work on what they can do as a gift, and then create spaces where the manifestation of the spirit can always happen whenever it's needed. So helpful. That's excellent. So helpful. helpful. You know, um, we've developed an assessment that's um, a little bit broader in its, its application. Uh, we use the analogy of GPS, global positioning system. Um, but we do gifts, passion, story. So these are mm. signals the spirit of God is sending you. And your gifts can be natural abilities or your spiritual gifts. Passion, we look at um, what causes are you passionate about? What particular people groups are you passionate about? And then APEST, we call that your influencing passion. And then story, um, because so much of what our calling ends up being comes out of both our brokenness and then our breakthroughs. And so helping people identify those kind of narrative themes that the Holy Spirit is writing through their life. And like you, we, uh, we design it so people are, um, in best case scenario, you're engaging this assessment with your triad within a larger extended spiritual family on mission. Because we wholeheartedly agree, like navel gazing <laughs> is not going to be just more narcissistic reflection uh, doesn't bring illumination. It's when we're obeying, when we're in the context of mission. Um, Jeff, we want to thank you. This was so helpful, uh, so meaningful, so rich. Um, I want to just say Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt is in my top five most influential books, and I read a lot of books. And so I can't recommend a book more highly um, and also his book Saturate, which is all on the theme of gospel saturation. 
Um, Jeff, if people want to find out more about resources, equipping, training, where can they connect with you? Yeah, like I said, you can connect with me through any of my social media feeds, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, though I don't do that too much these days. I try to stay away from that. Uh, but then saturate, saturate the world.com. And I want to add to something. I didn't say this before, but we have a, a subscription membership and I'm not trying to sell that. But the reason why I bring it up is because the, like with the Gospel Fluency book, we created that a handbook for you to go through that also have videos that you can use. There's short videos around each concept that some of which we talked about just now. And those are all in the saturate uh, the world.com subscription. It's kind of like a Netflix thing where we're just constantly adding more content to it to help you really in your own development, your own equipping and for churches to use to train up their people. So that this just loaded with resources. I I becoming convinced. I think it's probably the largest one stop shop for gospel centered missional equipping that I've seen out there. So hopefully it really serves people well. Well, I encourage y'all to go there. Um, also, I want to recommend again, uh, Made for More is a resource for you all to deep dive into the book of Ephesians, Six Shifts. And again, there's a free online course with Made for More. We also have created a resource kit uh, for church leaders to take their leadership teams through. It actually features some videos from Jeff, about 27 videos from thought leaders. One of those thought leaders and practitioners is going to be with us in our next episode, Brian Sanders from the Tampa Underground. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter two uh, and the beautiful call that each one of us is a part of this masterpiece and, and that within this masterpiece that is the body of Christ, you are a masterpiece and that there is a unique calling on your life, a masterpiece mission. And our job as church leaders, how do we equip people for the works of service? How do we help them discover uh, that unique calling? How do they get deployed on that? It's a very, most churches have not really wrestled down. How do we help people discover their calling and then get deployed and then equip them? And, it, and it's intimidating. I know a lot of churches are like, what are you saying? Then I have to budget for every idea someone comes up with and put it in the bulletin. That is not what we're saying. <laughs> and we'll dig more into that next week. I also want to remind you as a part of the larger exponential community uh, in this next season, uh, there's going to be a host, hopefully hundreds of roundtables in every corner of America so that you can gather in a, a very safe and socially distanced way, but also to be a part of some very catalytic conversations in this next season. Uh, so if you want to learn more about mobilizing God's people, God's way, uh, you, uh, your, your leadership team, uh, key people in your church or other networks that you're a part of this spring, uh, you could personally host an exponential roundtable event, uh, your church family could do that or your city or your network or your tribe. Uh, you could be a multiplication catalyst and together with lots of other catalysts around this country, advance the kingdom impact and multiplication for your church and other churches. So you'll have the opportunity to choose from one of nine multiplication topics. Uh, and there's these plug and play library of resources. Um, uh, Brian Phipps and I actually created one of these. It's the made for more roundtable experience. Uh, I hope you'll take advantage of that. We're preferential to that one. They're all great though. Uh, you can learn more about becoming a host this spring at multiplication.org slash host. On that page, you'll find more details, including all the information that you need. Um, Brian Phipps, Jeff, anything you want to say in closing before we head out today? 
I'll just say this. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead, Ryan. Now, I just want to just say, Jeff, thank you so much for being saturated with the gospel because what comes out of you is good news and it's inspiring and it's challenging and it's motivating uh, to people like me who get to just stand and learn in the wake and then try to uh, take and multiply what you've done because of the wisdom you're able to share with us. So just thanks for being you. Mm, thank you. That's so encouraging. I was just going to say, thanks for letting me be here. It's just a, it's always a joy to be with you guys and I love the work you're doing. So I can't commend it enough. And I just, I'll, I'll just put in a little push. Brian Sanders is one of the sharpest guys I've ever talked to in my life. That guy is brilliant. <laughs> Unbelievable. Huge, huge gift to the church. So man, I hope people take advantage of listening from, to him because I've learned a ton from Brian. So, so uh, in fact, we're inviting all of you, uh, if you will come back, uh, we'll be same bad time, same bad channel. Just dated myself. Uh, back here with Brian Sanders, invite a friend, invite a team. Also, please send us your questions in advance. Uh, my email is just Rob Wegner at caseyunderground.org, Brian at disciplesmade.com. And uh, we'd love to bring your questions to Brian Sanders. So send them to us. If you have any questions, reach out. Again, this is not just a show. We're hoping it's a growing community and we want you to uh, own the future of this community with us. So uh, go in the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you be filled with all the fullness of God. May the gospel saturate your soul and then spill out into the street that you live on. Amen. And it's for you. And go in grace and peace. Thanks for being here.